Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Creative Nature Podcast. Really good to have you back on the other side of the eclipse weekend. I don't know about you, but I felt really like I've been in a washing machine and I'm just kind of sitting, hanging out, letting the dust settle, <laughs> looking around my life to see all the things that have already changed this year and it's not even June. But anyway, I wanted to send this beautiful, beautiful conversation I had with Madeleine Keller your way. I really love talking to them. They are so kind and caring and insightful and inspiring in how they relate to plants, but also community in the world. And I love how they gave us permission in this interview to reconnect to things that feel meaningful. One thing that they said, for example, was that if we're making a cup of tea, then we are a herbalist. And um, maybe you knew this. This is great if you do. <laughs> But I feel many of us need to hear this occasionally to remember that uh, we get to make our own magic and our experiences are valid and we get to reach out to the more than human world um, in these small and big ways that we can. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode as much as I did. I don't have a ton of updates right now. Um, I haven't really thought about free workshops that I want to offer this summer. Um, last weekend, I offered one on rituals for romance with self, others in the world. And that was really sweet. Thank you so much to everyone who came. And I'll definitely put up other things. Um, a reminder that you can join the Queer Needleworkers Collective, which is just a free space on Mighty Networks. I've set up to talk to people, which I'm excited for, and I'll link to that in the show notes. Otherwise, I have decided to go back to grad school for archaeology and art. And that's really exciting and really beautiful. It's going to be very part-time, very slow, um, but I will um, take a sabbatical from, for a year from web design from August. And I think, yeah, it's a, it's, I think there will be a really good reset for my work. And I'm excited to spend more time in this space, in the podcast, in art making. Um, I've closed the Creative Nature community for a little break it's usually always open but I want to think about offering that seasonally so it's just a three months commitment rather than an ongoing membership um, and I'll likely start that next month and if you're interested uh, get on my newsletter and yeah I think that's it thank you so much for listening hello everyone I am so excited to talk to another really beautiful plant person today I have Madeline Keller with me today. They are part of the embodied business community that I facilitate. So I've been able to see um, their magic for a while and get to know their work. And it's just been such a joy because we have so many things in common. I think our values are a bit similar. And I'm just, I just love talking to plant people. I think um, there's never been a time where I needed to deepen my relationship with plants more. And I also feel like I had a good run of other interviews lately talking to all kinds of other practitioners. It's really been time to talk about herbalism again. Thank you so much, Madeline, for making time. I'm really excited to have you. And 
yeah, I would just love to start by asking you how you're doing and what kind of work you're doing. Yeah, um, thanks so much for having me on here. It, it's so exciting. Um, I agree, it, it's time to talk about herbalism again. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm enjoying, I'm in a foggy morning where I currently am. I live uh, in Santa Cruz, California, unseated Owaswasaloni territory and um, just really soaking up the fog. And the work that I'm focusing on, um, at the moment, I, I run a Patreon membership community called the Autonomous Herbalism Learning Community. And um, we've been focusing on bioregionalism this month, which has been really fun to dig into. So yeah, that's a little bit about what I'm up to these days. That sounds like such a beautiful mix of different things. And um, for some reason, I didn't know that you're in Santa Cruz, which I feel really silly for now. And now I need to ask you a really nerdy question. Isn't that where Grace and Frankie is? Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not completely sure. My sister loves that show, but I, have, I haven't seen it. <laughs> Hey, that's totally fine. I will look it up and let you know. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so you you spoke to a little bit around the community work that you're doing already. I wonder how you came to do that work because it's not <clears throat> it's not something that many of us get to do right after school or that is suggested to us. It's often something that we kind of have to discover the hard way or reclaim for ourselves, right? Like, do you want to say a little bit more about how that came to be? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. It was something that I kind of, um, yeah, had to uncover. When I was really young, I loved making like little plant potions. I was always like crushing up geranium petals to make like inks and things like that. Um, and at the same time, I didn't really have a concept that plant medicine was something that existed. I mean, there wasn't like a strong tendency towards any sort of like folk herbalism, like plant medicine remedies in my family. Um, and like whatever traditions we had around that we lost a while ago. So when I was, let's see, I think I was probably like 19, um, I was reading this book about urban homesteading written by some folks in the Bay Area, so kind of close to me. And um, there's a chapter in there written by Dory Midnight. Are you familiar with Dory Midnight? Oh my Fair God, word? yes. Dory is one of my favorite people in the whole world. I want to be like Dory when I'm older. And I also think that Dory got me into herbalism. I remember reading about how she to mugwort and there was there was something about the smoke and how it traveled between lips I think it's a quite iconic interview and it has been with me ever since for many years mm -hmm. that's that's awesome yeah so we Dory led both of us down the plant path I guess um this chapter was so beautiful. Um, she was kind of like describing the process of seeing clients and working with them and talking about all of these different medicine making processes and things like that. And to me, it was just like, 
pure magic. Like I was like, you can do this. <laughs> um, so it was, it was mind blowing and also like just opened up a whole world for me. And, um, I am really grateful for having that be my first introduction because I also really love um, Dory's values and the way that she shows up in the world with um, the work that she does. And so I kind of began applying that myself. I My first plant ally that I started working with because I, I feel like medicine making for me and for a lot of other folks is kind of the gateway into studying herbalism as a whole. Um, so I really just started working with rosemary. It was growing right outside my parents' house. I still lived with my parents at the time. And um, the first medicine I ever made was a rosemary tincture. And to this day, it's still like one of my most valuable, most, um, most loved plant allies. I have a really strong, loving relationship with that plant. And yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how I got into this. It just snowballed from there. Yeah, that's beautiful. I really love rosemary too. It feels really ancestral to me and very clear. And mm -hmm. I or like clearing and grounding and protective. And I don't actually know a lot of technical stuff about rosemary. And there's a real hesitation in me to find out because I just want to have this friendship where I don't know shit, but it just feels so good, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> um, that all makes a lot of sense. And I would love to hear a little bit more about, well, you touched on values already. And I guess when people first encounter herbalism or they get to know plants, it just is such a wild, wide landscape, literally, and also politically and emotionally and spiritually, <laughs> all these different dimensions, basically. And it can feel hard to find the right teachers, the right context, um, and to understand, yeah, maybe the politics of working with plants as well and building those relationships. So I wonder if you want to say a little bit more about your values and how you see this work um, inform career resilience as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think like kind of taking off from that first introduction to herbalism from Dory, like there was a lot of emphasis on, um, like, I think the chapter was literally called like the people's medicine chest and um, herbalism is the people's medicine is something that you see repeated a lot in certain herbal spaces. So I think that there was always like this undercurrent of like herbalism as this like very ancestral, accessible medicine, something that many of us have some sort of connection to because all, all humans have relationships with plants even if it's just like the iceberg lettuce in your sandwich or something, you have a relationship with plants. Um, so I think that that was kind of like the thread for me in the beginning. Um, and moving on, I started to like, um, I studied community studies at UC Santa Cruz. I went to school in this area. So um, there was a lot of emphasis on thinking about health, health justice and health access, um, which is something that I became really passionate about um, moving through school and just working on um, developing my thinking about how so many of us are disenfranchised from health resources within the medical industrial complex, but also how so many of us are disenfranchised from our relationships with the land. Um, herbalism is this really beautiful thing where it, it kind of like 
bridges um, the relationship and like the worlds between plants and people. Um, and I think that there is a lot of opportunity for people to think about the political context that that relationship take, takes place in, in our world today. I do think that there are a lot of teachers out there who are um, maybe hesitant about addressing this, but for me personally, um, I, I teach herbalism through the lens of uh, anti-oppression. Herbalism is kind of like the lens that I use. Um, and so I think a lot about how oppressions affect folks and affect access to health, affect access to land, affect access to um, just like that relationship to plants in general and like, you know, nature connection, literacy of plant knowledge and things like that. Um, while also acknowledging that many folks do have some connection to um, traditions, like long-standing ancestral plant traditions. Um, I really love the tradition of folk herbalism, uh, which is kind of all about acknowledging the plant knowledge that folks already inherently possess in their own cultures um, and in their own traditions. Um, I think that a lot of folks can feel intimidated by herbalism and can feel like it, it's this like huge complicated body of knowledge. And it absolutely is, there's a lot of nuance. And at the same time, I do really want folks to know that um, if you've made a cup of tea, you're an herbalist. If you've like used spices in your cooking, <laughs> you're an herbalist. There isn't like, there really shouldn't be any gatekeeping around that. Um, it is this accessible practice and we all to some degree do have some knowledge of plants and plant medicines around us. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of a ramble, but those are kind of like some of my deeply held values. Yeah. <laughs> I love this value ramble so much. And yeah, I agree. There's so much to learn about relationship and reciprocity and community. And I think it's also a beautiful gateway um, for people who maybe want to be more politically engaged, but just find or have a hard time finding a way in, right? I think growing food together, taking care of each other, learning about these things, thinking about our place in the world and what we have to offer and what we need. Those are all such valuable skills to develop really in any context, but they're also really needed in any revolutionary work, right? So yeah, that's great. That's um, that makes me feel hopeful. Um, and also, it's really exciting that you got to study. Um, did, did you say community studies? I'd never heard that in that particular way. But that's such a cool subject to focus on. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was very. Um, it was basically a degree in doing community organizing and um, we studied the nonprofit industrial complex. So there was like a lot of critical lens, but it also meant getting, um, getting a wider view of all of the different revolutionary work. Um, like you were just mentioning that so many people are doing. Um, and so it, it was a really great um, like underpinning to then go on and, like do this work of uh, thinking about community health yeah. from, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so you speak about us becoming village witches, which I love. <laughs> and um, yeah, can you tell me more? Like, how does it feel to own that title? Why do you want more people to feel excited about it? What would the world be like if we all had local village witches? Ah, it's such a good question. And I love thinking about this. Um, <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, for me, like the topic of like becoming and claiming a village witch identity um, is really about, you know, identifying like, okay, what are my gifts? What are my skills? What is my magic? And how can I bring it to as many people as possible? Like, how can I show up in this way where I am, you know, being of service in my community, in my village, and essentially in that way, like creating a village around yourself by just making a commitment to really like show up for folks and share what you have. Um, and I think that in, in the case where this world was full of village witches, I really like to imagine um, just the way of kind of like re-enlivening relationships of reciprocity, mutual aid, um, and like really just like re-enchanting, I think, is it Sylvia Federici who writes about re-enchanting the commons? I love that phrase. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that's totally, yeah, that's totally what I think about when I think about like people becoming village witches, because I think that like um, the term, like the term mutual aid and the term reciprocity and things like that um, kind of illustrate like the type, the types of relationships, like the types of acts of service and like networks of care and things like that, that I want to talk to folks about and um, bring that up with people and emphasize how important it is that we all bring our capacities to care for each other together. Um, but I love uh, to bring in the like image of the village witch too, because not only is it like a historical and ancestral archetype that um, is really powerful for folks, I think people really connect with the phrase um, and it kind of like carries this like long thread of resistance. And I mean, for folks of European heritage, um, you know, kind of like brings us back to our history around witchcraft and things like that, how things have unfolded around different people's medicine traditions and things like that. Um, but along with invoking that history, I think that the term also just brings in how magical it really is um, for us to be able to share with each other uh, what we have to bring. Because not only is it like, does it make practical sense um, in terms of doing movement building, um, but it also it feels amazing. <laughs> it feels really wonderful to realize I have something to give. Um, I think that under capitalism, a lot of us are, you know, we are kind of discouraged from, from sharing with each other in a lot of different ways. And we are made to feel pretty bad about ourselves. And like, we don't have that much to show up with. And I think that the concept of the village witch archetype really contradicts that um, pretty powerfully for folks. I fully agree. And I can't tell you how much I needed to hear that just now. I feel 
yeah, I feel seen. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> and I, it also made me think about um, kind of the myth of professionalism because a village which in my imagination and in my reality as well is kind of good at different things, but there isn't this barrier to like, you know, just choosing this one path that it that is the thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life but it really comes down to intimacy and support and magic and meaning making and enchantment which sound maybe like you know it's easy to say oh these are just such fluffy things but I actually think right now they're essential for for, for survival we really have to nourish each other <clears throat> each other's imagination to to be able to imagine a better way of being together and relating to each other and and moving forward anyway casual that is <laughs> I think this is also a really beautiful thing to hear from me as a disabled person I've been feeling so tired this week and kind of unpacking these narratives and I thought I had done this work because I've been doing this work for years and years you know and have been in disability justice spaces and yet it comes round and bites you in the butt when you are in a in a flare of fatigue or pain or, or whatever it is. And um and yeah, I really want to envision myself and my friends and my loved ones and you and so many other people as these beautiful village witches who have so much to offer in their own way. So thank you. Mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> So I know you also write these really incredible zines and I should buy one um, actually, <laughs> just making a mental note. I've been meaning to do that for ages. I'm so sorry it has not happened yet. But anyway, they look incredible and I would love to hear how you write them, why you write them and maybe a little bit more about what your creative process is like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, I love zines. I, I think that um, the like the DIY aspect of zines has always been really appealing to me. Um, and I know that's something that we have in common because I love all of your thinking about DIY media. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I was actually, I was saying this yesterday, but um, I had a blog when I was like 13. Um, I've always been really into writing and, and sharing and like the different like kind of independent ways that people share their thoughts with each other. Um, and so for me, I, I've made my zine making journey has been a really interesting one. I kind of started um, out just like putting together essays that I had written on my blog and like throwing them together as collections. And that morphed into like making a personal zine that was about um, like different ways of like rediscovering my own agency and recovering from trauma and things like that. Kind of just like cataloging my own healing process, but also talking about like really big things that were on my mind. I mean, I was really just kind of like, plucking out um like little samples of like what was really big for me right now in terms of like what I was thinking about so I've written little pieces on um climate catastrophe and like preparedness and things like that for different disasters I've written things about um the importance of saying I love you to your friends um 
Yeah, they were, I, I like, I just liked to go through my journals and kind of like pull things out that felt like poignant and decide like, okay, this is something that I actually like think other people would like to see, might enjoy reading, things like that. Um, yeah, and that's a little bit about my process. I um, These days I write a lot of zines that are more focused specifically on herbalism. Um, and I, I put out a zine last year in October that was called Through the Portal, a cookbook for community care. It was Honestly, it was a digital zine and um, calling it a zine feels a little funny because it ended up being like 70 pages, but whatever, that's <laughs> still a zine. Um, and um, it was kind of just like a, an introduction to a lot of the different like technical concepts of herbalism, like how to make different preparations and things like that and different plant profiles, profiles and recipes. Um, and then I also put in a lot of my own like um, my own perspectives as an herbalist, like what values I hold really dear to my own herbal practice. I have this essay that I wrote a while ago called Toward an Anti-Oppression Herbalism that lays out 12 different principles of anti-oppression herbalism. So that's in that zine. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really fun to just kind of decide like, okay, I do think that this is important. It's important enough to share with other folks. And it's, it's kind of an empowering act to decide that and then um, put it together in a format um, that is also lots of fun because you get to like play around with exactly how it's presented and edit the pages and things like that. I love to just like lay things out too. So a little bit of a nerd in that way. But yeah, that's a little bit more about my zine writing practice. I'm a bit of a nerd in that way too, you know. Um, I think you're totally right. There's so much healing magic in zine making and really any DIY culture and publishing. And I, I, yeah, I feel the same. I think it's so powerful when people decide something becomes worthy of sharing with others. And there's always other people in the end receiving this, even if it's just a small number of people reading your zines. Um, it is just so intimate and so beautiful. And I'm so happy. We, I, I can't imagine a world without zines, to be honest. That would be really heartbreaking. And also, I love preparedness. As a geeky side note, I am really into preparing for a disaster. Like, it's truly my love language, to be honest. And um, I'm sometimes a bit self-conscious that my, thing, my friends think I'm, I'm a prepper just because there's such a strange subculture within preparedness that seems really right-wing and I oh god it's just scary you know but I mm. love preparing I really hope my friends know there's a disaster come to my house I've got a straw which we, which we can drink from puddles and you know I'm awesome. ready <laughs> what is your favorite kind of preparedness do you have a straw to drink out of puddles I I don't have a straw Thanks for reminding me to get one. Um, <laughs> I I love that you bring up the like the fear of being perceived as like this weird right wing prepper person because I do think that a lot of folks share that anxiety. I know I definitely am like oh man I hope people don't perceive me in this way. At the same time, um, I do think that we are in this stage. You know, we're in late stage capitalism. 
we're in this phase of climate catastrophe. We are all prepping, you know, to a certain extent. And I think that that's the strategic thing to do right now. Um, and it sounds to me like, you know, having a straw to <laughs> like to drink out of puddles with, that's some village witch magic right there. Like that's like thinking about other people and thinking about how you can share. Um, I think for me personally, um, my, <laughs> my like preparation nerdery really comes into um, herbalism around different, um, different like concerns in my community and like particularly wildfire season has been something that I've concentrated on a lot this past couple of years. Um, so I put a lot of energy into learning more about how smoke and air quality affect the body. I've learned a lot more about chronic bronchitis and asthma that can be irritated by um, poor air quality due to wildfires. Um, for folks who are um, not familiar, I live on the West Coast where wildfire season has continued to get more and more catastrophic pretty much every year. Um, so that's something that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about and feel really passionate about. Um, last year, uh, I work with an herb collective called Santa Cruz Herbal Mutual Aid. And last year we started doing a pop-up with our local Food Not Bombs chapter where we would serve um, lung tea. So tea that was particularly really great for um, during fire season. Um, we started serving that there um, particularly wanting to reach folks who are unhoused and who uh, often are having to be outside when the air quality is considered dangerous. Um, so that's something that I feel really passionate about and put a lot of resource into thinking about. Yeah. Mm, yeah, um, that sounds really beautiful. I'm glad you're doing that work and thank you for appreciating my straw. <laughs> this is <laughs> <laughs> um so my next question feels like one that in a way you have already answered um but maybe there is a little bit more that we can share with people so I'm thinking about mutual aid and what we can learn from plants and these small acts like you just described you know making this tea that can be so meaningful and I know both making those things and being at the receiving end it just can make such a, a such a difference to people and I think it's really easily underestimated, right? Like how much it can turn someone's day around to be given something that's handmade, that's really considered in that way. And it's just also so beautiful for us as makers to experience ourselves as being able to offer something like that. So um, we're recording this in March, 2022. I always, because time is such a strange concept right now, I always find it important to name uh, where we're at in the pandemic and, and all of that stuff. But how has the pandemic maybe shifted that learning about mutual aid through plans for you or what has become more important to you in the last two years? Hmm. I think I think that I am, you know, I, <laughs> I think a lot of folks might identify with what I'm going to say um, because I've witnessed this in my community, but I think that the pandemic really um, helped a lot of people drop some of their illusions about like where things are at in terms of like how things are going in our society and how things are going um, with the climate. Um, I mean, it yeah, 
I think that this language about the pandemic serving as a portal that we need to walk through is has been really helpful for me to conceptualize my own, like where my own herbalism practice and mutual aid practice are heading. Because um, it's just helped me get more concentrated on that, get more concentrated on building those networks of care and intimacy and recognizing how valuable my relationships with other people and with plants are in this time where um, different institutions are are failing us or are not providing exactly what we need. I mean, right now here in the US, the CDC has rolled back a lot of their restrictions and that's left a lot of people who are immunocompromised in this really tricky situation where they are continuing to live um, in a situation where the pandemic applies to them while everybody else has, you know, has the like government sanctioned liberty to pretend like it doesn't. Um, and, you know, that's kind of generalization. And there's, of course, a lot of nuance in people's lived experiences. But um, I think that, yeah, the pandemic has really um, supercharged <laughs> my mutual aid practice. And I'm I'm really grateful for that. And I think that I've, I've been able to see the gifts of plants and turn towards them even more deeply. Like the pandemic just removed a lot of illusion and distraction. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this question as well. I'd, I'd love to hear about that from you. Well, thank you. Yeah. I love everything that you said. I feel really similar this this sense right now of this heartache for <clears throat> people who are disabled and immune compromised and how complicated it is to to navigate these times and um and also the the fatigue I guess it's been two years now I can really feel it in my bones and mm-hmm. I I think I really wish and hope so much that we continue to pause in some way and really don't go back to normal, which I know is such an overused phrase and and also the resistance to it feels kind of it's getting tired. Um, but I I lost a friend in December and I had an accident this year, last year. And I think between these three things, the pandemic and then the accident and becoming disabled and then losing my friend has been so, um, I, I feel like no cell in my being is the same as it was three years ago. There's just no way back. And I um, really, I'm really anxious sometimes. I'm not gonna lie. I'm anxious about losing more friends. I'm anxious about my friends becoming sick. I'm anxious about climate change, about the war. The list does go on, <laughs> no shit. And I have be- have made a practice in the last few weeks, especially in my time in the Highlands, where, where from where I've just come back, of really like really sitting with the worst of these fears and seeing the preciousness of them. Like I, um, this is a bit of an overshare, but anyway, there was this one Friday morning, for example, where I woke up really early and I checked the news first thing, which is not a great thing to do, but I do it sometimes. And there was um, some kind of emergency or fire in one of the nuclear reactors in the Ukraine. And for an hour or so, it wasn't clear what that meant or if any radiation had already escaped. And I was just so heartbroken and really like desperately anxious and, you know, thought about 
family members living nearby, but also just the devastating impact on um, the landscape and the bioregion and the wider world and how much this conflict and the pandemic is setting us back and dealing with other things that are so important to urgently address. Um, and I did some mushrooms later that evening, which was really, really healing. And I just really like stared death down in a way, you know, and was like, okay, and why do I love this world so much? And being in this body is actually really so meaningful to me. And I really don't want this to be over. And um, yeah, I think there's really beautiful stuff that can come out of that deep confrontation. Um, I I packed up my friend's house, my friend who died. I picked up their stuff from the police this morning. So it's a really deep process of grieving and really letting myself love the people I love and the things that I'm here for, even though I know um, more clearly than ever that I might lose them at any minute. And I think that's that's something I hope all of us in some way or another take away. You know, there's just so much beauty and love at stake that is so, so worth fighting for. God, that has become more emotional <laughs> this little waffle than I thought it would be when I started talking about it. But thank you so much for asking. Yeah, that was so beautiful. It was, it's wonderful to hear that. I, I think that that like strength of conviction about like the things that are worth fighting for is is really valuable and, and also very hard won. And I, I really love hearing you talk about that. Thank you. <clears throat> Whew, feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I keep like I keep walking around this neighborhood, which is really sweet and small and like easy to take in and just looking at people's houses and the things they do when everyone does something different with their front gardens, which is really cute. And lots of people grow food or wildflowers and stuff. And I'm just like, man, like, as fucked up as we are, we are also so cute and do all these adorable things to keep each other alive. And I hope, <laughs> I hope we keep going. Yeah. 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 Me too. And, and I have a lot of hope for that as me well. Too. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and speaking of hope, I would love to hear a little bit more about weeds and bioregionalism because I feel like those two things are such sources of strength and just are so inspiring. I, I feel there's also a big overlap spiritually between queers and weeds, I think. <laughs> so yeah, maybe you should talk a bit more about that. Yes, love to talk about weeds. Um, <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think that weeds, weeds are really interesting. They are, um, I've done a lot of work focusing my apothecary to mostly work with weeds um, because they are these plants that are super readily available they're really abundant and so many of them are um, incredibly powerful medicinal allies dandelions are amazing um, not many folks know this um, but dandelions were um, brought over on purpose by um, European settlers. They were brought over for their medicinal properties. And I've, I've done a lot of research and some teaching about this subject because I think it really blows people's minds that now we, um, 
uh, at least some folks are so hell-bent on killing them with Roundup, um, but they were once some of our most prized medicinal allies, and they still are, are really powerful. So I tend to focus my apothecary, and a lot of the medicines that I work with are um, these medicinal weeds, um, or also culinary medicinal plants, like so a lot of plants that people already know and are already really familiar with. And I do think that, um, well, like what you were uh, connecting between like queer folks and weeds, I think that that metaphor of um, how weeds like live in the margins and are so resilient um, are, I mean, I think dandelions, it all comes back to dandelions, I guess. Um, dandelions are like a really amazing symbol of that because they're, um, there's so much work uh, put into eradicating them. And a lot, um, and I think that like folks who experience oppression and state-sponsored violence and um, other things in that category can really identify with the way that um, weeds like dandelion experience that and yet are able to just keep coming back keep regenerating and keep their, um, keep their heads up. I mean, dandelions, when you really look at them are these like beautiful sunny flowers and the flower essence of dandelion is indicated for kind of helping us um, open up to that light, um, which is so beautiful. It's such a beautiful indication for them. Um, I think that that is like a really valuable thing. And I think that remembering that these plants that, I mean, weeds are these plants that have followed folks around the globe. They're here often right next to our doorsteps um, or, you know, fairly close to wherever we live. Um, they want to have relationships with us. They, I, I mean, I, that's how I conceptualize it. I think that they're really here because they're like, we're here and we want to, we want to dialogue with you. We want to bring in our med medicinal gifts and let's get the show on the road. You know, um, I think that weeds have a lot of invitations for us and just the way that that is like, can be so accessible for so many folks, like that these plants, many folks are familiar with them or live very close to where they are growing. Um, that in itself is like really powerful and hopeful to me. Yeah. me too and yes let's like let's absolutely get this show on the road I <laughs> yes I also feel like um, I mean Dandelion are just such a beautiful example really and I think there's so much symbolism and people spraying them with Roundup it absolutely breaks my heart and I think it really kind of mirrors what we're doing to our own wildness our own unruliness and our sense maybe of taking up space in capitalism of like just like killing it <laughs> and like really beating it down and yeah it's just it's just so sad I can't pass a good dandelion in spring without stopping and and I think nettle is another plant that comes to mind that's such a beautiful friend and so resilient and so nourishing like nettle tea overnight has often really carried me through this the more difficult times in my life and has been such a good yeah such a such a great supportive aid I love touching that as well it makes me feel really alive <clears throat> I know that's debatable but I think it's one of the most beautiful sensations there ever is in life being touched by nettle anyway <laughs> oh I love that I love hearing you say that that's amazing 
<laughs> Isn't it true though? I know it's really good for people um, for arthritis and I, I don't have arthritis. Um, but when I touch a nettle, something happens in my body that I can't really articulate and maybe also don't want to articulate in human words. But it totally makes sense to me that it creates a sense of aliveness. It really shifts energy in a way that I imagine maybe shift something in our joints as well. I can't imagine. Anyway, so good. Um, is there anything that you feel you want to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Um, I think, well, the, the one thing that is sticking out to me is, um, so yeah, I am a proud and excited member of the embodied business community. And we were having a really lovely workshop yesterday where one of the, um, questions you posed was what, what do you want? Like, what do you wish everyone knew? Um, and I was thinking more and more about that, um, yesterday. And yeah, thank you for asking that wonderful question. Um, and the thing that was really coming to mind for me was that I, um, for me, it really just comes back to how healing is really found in our relationships. And that includes our relationships with ourselves, our relationships with other people, and our relationships with plants as well, including, um, and including like our relationship with the biosphere, the land that we live on. Um, and I just find the way that that connection and closeness and intimacy opens up a huge dimension of healing and resource and meaning and belonging, all of these really wonderful concepts that so many folks I feel like are often really searching for. Um, can be found um, often really close to home and, and even like within ourselves. And so I've, I've been thinking a lot about how um, health and healing can be found in that, like that level of relationship. Um, and I like to use the phrase health as solidarity to kind of illustrate the connection that I see between strong relationships really seeing yourself as like um, kin with other beings and with other people. I think, um, I think that that is where I want to leave this conversation. It's something that is really valuable in my practice and that I want other folks to ponder and um, see where that's at in their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think that is a really great place to end. Yeah. Um, please tell us what you're currently offering and where people can find you. Um, yeah, so I, I mentioned this earlier, but I run a Patreon membership called the Autonomous Herbalism Learning Community. And um, there's a bunch of different tiers on there. And the focus there is really on learning and sharpening, sharpening herbalism skills through an anti-oppression lens. I do think that there are uh, a lot of folks who want to learn herbalism um, and might end up learning from teachers who are really wonderful in a lot of ways. Um, there are many folks who are super knowledgeable, have a lot of technical info to share, but also teach some concepts of health that are either outdated or fairly oppressive. Um, and what I try to focus on in our, in our learning community is really um, 
honing in on visions of health that are accessible for as many bodies as I can really um, like help us expansively like imagine and think about. And also thinking about how herbalism can uh, extend to our communities as a tool of resilience, mutual aid and resistance. So that's really what we talk about there. And um, in May, we're recording this in March, so this is still a little bit out, but in May we are, um, I'm going to be doing a membership drive where um, the, uh, the Patreon is always open for registration. People can always sign up, but during membership drives, I usually offer something extra. So last year I did that um, in October and uh, everybody who joined at a certain tier uh, received a zine. And this year, um, the uh, in May, I think the I'm still kind of like figuring out exactly what folks will receive, but I'm kind of leaning towards doing something related to plant oracle card readings for folks who want to get started on their herbalism learning journey and want some um, direction around that. So I'm really excited to offer that, and that's coming up in May. Um, and locally here in Santa Cruz, I am teaching a class on. Um, medicine making. It's going to be a four-week series, and um, that's coming up in April, but it's it's something that I am really passionate about and have led a few series on that before, so that's probably something that I will continue to keep up with. Um, I feel really passionate about spreading the knowledge of medicine making. I just think it's, it's something that um, I really hope that many folks have access to. So it's, it's something that I'll probably teach again and I'm feeling really excited about at the moment since it's coming up soon. Yeah. And I think May is such a beautiful time as well to dive into these things. They sound really, really beautiful. And I'm so excited for people to check them out. We'll link to the show notes uh, in the show notes so that uh, yeah, it's all in that. But um, do you, I think, the, oh, sorry, my brain. <laughs> I don't know. But do you want to mention also what a good way for people to connect with you is? Yeah, um, the best way to connect with me is to join my newsletter. And so I can, I can send you a link for folks to sign up for that. Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you so, so much for everything you shared today. I feel like we have... Um, We've shared so much plant joy. I really hope it's bringing people in. I cannot Mm. imagine them not feeling inspired to be totally honest. So yeah, thank you so much for being so generous with your wisdom and your time and your magic. Oh yeah, likewise. Thank you so much, Yaro. It's been um, a gift to have this conversation. Thank you.